everybody, and welcome back to the Chiluminati Podcast, episode 119. As always, I am one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by Alex Faseana and Jesse Cox, the, the Cheech and Chong of LA. That's the- us, dude. Cheech and Chong of LA. I yeah, will never be that. I'll never be that cool. Let's I, w- <laughs> I wish I could pull off any single one outfit that Cheech or Chong wore ever in any of their films. <laughs> Cheech and, and Chong are here, man. Yeah, you, you got no Cheech and Chong no here, Cheech man. Chong or here, man. <laughs> yeah. us, man. <laughs> I follow them on TikTok, and it's it's actually it's a great time. They're lovely. If you have TikTok, yes. then you should follow them. They're really I, fun. I don't have a TikTok. Is this like the first old thing about me? Am I like? I think this might be it. This could be the very first old person thing about you. Don't find me on TikTok, guys. But where you can find me is at patreon.com slash Chiluminati pod, which is not only the greatest website in the world, but the greatest website. Check this out. Ready? In the universe. And that's not just because the Internet is confined to just one planet at this time. It is actually so good that once we get connected to the broad, like broadband galactic Internet, once that's a thing, uh-huh. it's it's we're going to probably quintuple in at least in our in our patrons just because those aliens have been waiting for us to accept which, their payment methods. Which alien race will like us the most? I think the little gray, the little gray dudes. The grays? I hope yeah. so, too. I really hope the grays like us a lot. Remember the one in the game that we had, uh, the Chiluminati game, where they go upstairs and he's like eating pizza with us? That's the yeah, vibe. That, and playing video games. Yeah, yeah like they, I feel like they're just all Paul from the movie Paul. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Chiluminati pod. Oh, and... We also, Yeti.com, uh, we have a brand new t-shirt out there. It's only going to be there until the end of September. It's only Guys, a couple weeks so left. it's so fucking good. Go look at it. Just go yeah, look at it's, it. It's a Flatwoods Yeti. Monster design. Yeti.com slash collection slash Illuminati. It is good t-shirt. Should be goodness. the Yeti, not Yeti.com. Don't do that. The Yeti.com. You're going to oh, end sorry, up yeah, on the- whatever the page I was just on. And let me tell you, <laughs> it's the it Yeti. was not a real page. It's oh, the Yeti, go. like a t-shirt. Yeti. Yeah, yeah. The Yeti.com. Y-E-T-E-E. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go check it out. Flatwoods Monsters. I think there's a link in every one of our descriptions to our store as well. So you can just click on that and head over there. Uh, that t-shirt's sick. You've only got a couple more weeks before it is gone. So get it while you can. Uh, this week is back in Alex's hands. It is time to finish the surprise two-parter. Uh, of weird things you found online. Alex. Yeah, we're in the weird room, and we only got to check two of the four corners last time. AKA we're in the weird room. Yeah, what kind of see, furniture is in the weird room? Uh, there's like uh, one. There's like a. There's like some kind of carved animal. Probably there's like okay. one lamp, even though it's in the middle of the floor. Probably there's a there's a, li- there's a little guy who talks backwards in there. Oh, I see. Okay, he's okay. really well. He's really well. He's like really snappily dressed yeah just like red curtains all over the place yeah yeah okay yeah this is the room from the show twin peaks this is part two of weird corners guys this is uh this is this was a fun one for me i i feel like i really did jesse proof the last episode i mean you guys can be the judge if you really thought that was bs i'm not gonna like say it wasn't bs because honestly it was probably bs but i felt like i did a good job what the? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I have nothing to complain about. It was all very seemed all factually based to me. Yeah, mm. it's all weird. Mm. It's all weird. Um, yeah, but I've got my my truly and I'm ready to go. Yeah. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, this is called Weird Corners. So while it's definitely more focusing on the weird elements than like specifically dark 
elements that doesn't mean they're not going to pop up from time to time in this episode. Uh, the first one we're about to do is pretty tame, but consider this the content warning for future entries in this list. We got gore, disturbing scenarios, descriptions of both sexual and non-sexual violence, the whole shebang. So just prep yourself before you rep yourself. Okay? What? Prep yourself before you rep yourself. You know, you shouldn't be your own agent. That's the first mistake everybody makes when they move to L.A. And as the Cheech and Chong of L.A., you know, that's something that I learned back in the 70s. So, you know, figure that out. You know, if you're coming, you know, Chep, you know, you know, you, you get it. You get it. Um, here we are. Number seven. Take it away, Jesse. I gave you the list beforehand so you can just narrate these. Number seven. The church choir who was late. Okay. Wait, no, uh, I can get better. I can get better. Yeah. <laughs> Number seven. <laughs> the church choir who was late. <laughs> Did you no, take I like better. one? I get better. I get better. I better. Take another quaalude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven. The church choir who was late. <laughs> pretty ass. Yeah, pretty good. That's pretty good. That's just like that sounds just like chills. You probably. I, I would love. <laughs> you guys should both sing. I would love to hear you guys do a collab album. Uh. <laughs> I don't okay. sound like this. It's not my voice. <laughs> this is not my speaking voice. And can't I just say that she's not a very good parent? I feel like, like I feel like we already have music by that this? person. It's way better when you do it. <laughs> I feel I like, like we already why. have somebody who has that voice. That's Jean LaJoie. His music has got yeah. that kind of tone to it. Is that the guy from uh, <laughs> Cake? I need your arms around me. I need to feel your touch. Number That's six, breaking <laughs> foot levels. <laughs> all right. Uh, the, the choir. All right. I want to start you guys out with uh, like a, like a, like a, like a holistic question. Do you think that coincidences are like, if there's like a scale of like normal shit and absolutely out of the ordinary, strange, like full on magic is real shit. Do you think that coincidences are like on the scale? Do you think they like are, do they count as something that's like somewhat paranormal? Do you think coincidences are paranormal? I want to say yes, but honestly, it's one of those things like, I forget where I heard this, but there's just billions of people doing billions of things every moment of every day. So of course there are going to be coincidences that end up happening. That's just like the law of large numbers. So it's just like, I don't know if I consider them magical. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you know, there's all these like things about like quantum, whatever. We've all seen inter Interstellar. You know, it's got that sort of like <laughs> Time out. magic Time out. element to science. Time out. <laughs> Without spoiling for Mathis, who has never seen Interstellar. It's true. Uh -huh. Are you telling me that behind a bookcase? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, are you, are you trying to tell me that the first half of a movie is the second half of a movie? Do you see that? Do you see that as like just a coincidence like science or do you feel like there's some sort of well, obviously not the movie interstellar fair, fair enough i mean i don't know i'm just saying like you know people think about it in that way sometimes i don't know like quantum entanglement equals you know magic but also uh, the, the human brain operates in wacky ways like the same uh, kind of concept of like you're driving down the road and you were thinking about a song and then suddenly the song comes on the radio and you're like oh did i make that happen and really it's like you know Everyone's thinking it. about that yeah. song and it's a popular song. So of course they're going to play it at some, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. Exactly. And I, you know, I just want to get everybody in that headspace uh, at least because today we're starting out with a story about a coincidence. Uh, and as we go through this, you let me know when you think it leaves the realm of being a believable coincidence. Okay. Right. So like, I'm, I'm, gonna start, 
I'm going to start like laying it out and you guys just tell me when it gets too weird. Okay. The day was March 1st, 1950. The town was Beatrice, Nebraska. And at 7.25 p.m., the choir director at the West End Baptist Church, Martha Paul, expected all 15 members to show up right on time for practice, just like they did every week, because she was like a very stern leader and to her punctuality was very important. And everybody knew that. So normally everybody shows up right on time. Uh, and shout outs to Unsolved Mysteries for this one. You may already know this if you watch that show religiously, but this is a great story. So just follow me. Follow me along. Don't look ahead. Trust me. You're going to just sell yourself short. Uh, however, today on March 1st, 19, uh, 1950, something strange must have been in the air because almost immediately they started running into problems. Every single person in the choir. One man, Herbert Kipf, decided he really needed to get a letter into the mailbox in time to be picked up. So he figured he'd take the chance and be a few minutes late so he could swing by the mailbox on the way to practice. Pretty normal, you know, not really late, like a type of thing any of us would do. Um, another member, Lucille Jones, was way too into a radio show that she was listening to. I uh, remember this was the 50s, so radio was basically TV. And since she waited to leave until it was over... She also made Dorothy Wood late because she was her ride. So Lucille, Dorothy, and Herbert are all late now. Uh, and then the pastor's daughter, Marilyn Ruth Klempel, uh, was waiting for her mother to iron her another dress because while they were eating dinner, she accidentally spilled food on her first dress. So that's two more people that were late. Uh, and then there were the Estes sisters, Royina and Sadie, who got bopped when their car didn't start uh, just randomly that day. And uh, LaDonna Vandergrift, who has a great name, who got stuck on a tough geometry problem. And so she didn't leave the house right away. Uh, and then Joyce Black, uh, who was literally just too tired to get up, even though she lived right across the street and should have had no trouble being there on time, even with literally like minutes to spare. Um, but meanwhile, Harvey All, who's doing double duty, taking care of his two kids while his wife was out of town, got caught up talking with a friend and he forgot to leave for practice. And by the time he realized and got his kids set up in the car, he was late. And so he had to do that. Uh, and speaking of people with kids, there was also Miss Leonard Schuster and her daughter, Susan, who couldn't get there in time because they had to stop at grandma's house to help her set up for a missionary meeting, which is literally maybe the most 50s thing <laughs> I've ever heard of. Uh, and finally... We come to the director herself, whose daughter was also called Marilyn, just like the pastor's daughter, who usually showed up at least 30 minutes early because not only did I say earlier, she was a stickler, uh, but Marilyn was also the choir pianist, uh, her daughter. So they had to be there early just because like to get ready and get things going. But amazingly, today they were running super late because Marilyn, the daughter, accidentally fell asleep after dinner and didn't get up till 715, which didn't give them enough time to get there in time. Uh, after she got ready and stuff. So first of all, I want to ask, how likely do you think it is that something like this could happen with so many different little chaos theory variables leading to this moment that every single person at the choir practice was late? That seems crazy already, right? That 15 people, like the entire, like imagine you were just a person in the church and you were, you were waiting and you realized that everybody was late at the same time. Would that spook you? Do we know anything about the history of this choir or more importantly, the person who runs it? Yeah, we know that she is a stickler and we know that they start precisely on time literally every other week besides this. But like, hmm, I don't know, man. I like, uh, does this, does, are we there? Does this feel, does this feel mysterious yet? 
it doesn't feel mysterious. It does feel unlikely to happen. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just like I've had times where like a group of like six or seven of us all on the same day planning to get together have all been like, actually, it's like, well, I got this. Well, this came up and this happened and I've got a kid. It just it's happened before to me, Something like D and D, especially, well, especially if you're when you're weekly. texting. When you're texting, I think it's more common that people just like if two or three people jump ship, maybe everybody will jump ship. But in this case, I think it's weird. But this is obviously not the mystery. Let me tell you that earlier that day, at four thirty p.m., the pastor rolled through to turn on the heat so the church would be nice and warm for the choir practice that night. But what he didn't realize was that the pilot light wasn't lit, so it just kept filling and filling with gas until seven twenty-seven p.m., two minutes after practice normally started, and everybody should have been there already singing for two minutes when the church completely exploded in a ball of fire from the inside out. And literally no one was hurt because they were all late. All 15 of them were late. Even Joyce Black across the street, who was quoted uh, as saying, and this is going to be for Mathis to read. I'm going to just drop this right in the Twitter. It's a great little quote. All right. All right. Here we go. I was just plain lazy, so I kept putting off going out the door. At last, I couldn't put it off any longer. And when I opened up the door, our church disintegrated. I feel like that Sorry? was happening. Yeah, I feel like that was happening a lot of times in the Crusades too. It <laughs> just opened and it's gone. Suddenly, oh, there's my church. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so not only were all these people late uh, on this one day, but also on that day, two minutes after they were all supposed to be there for their church choir, the literal church exploded in a ball of fire that would have absolutely killed them all. There was like papers and leaflets fluttering down all over the entire town. It was like a full on gas balloon explosion except the balloon was an entire church that would have been filling with gas for three hours now what do you think of that pretty fucking wild right no, that's definitely fucking weird yeah i think it's a fascinating and like super fun coincidence story and you know i literally have nothing i can say against it it's like a wacky story but part of me just the skeptic in me is like i can't help but feel like this is one of those over the years people added the she was a stickler because I just can't square the fact that everyone was like, yeah, I was like, I I need to get there, but I wasn't in a rush to get there. And for me, a great example, like Matthew was saying is D and D where everyone's like, Hey, we got to start at eight. And then like everyone rolls in at eight 15 <laughs> and, and it's just been that way and so everyone is always that way and let me just like, remind you though that this is 1950 when people actually still had like willpower i don't know maybe you know what i mean like, color goggle and glasses this thing i don't know i don't know he, I even just, wallace doesn't know no one only, knows yeah i mean here's the thing like that's the thing that's weird about this obviously there's not really anything paranormal about this not necessarily not like a ghost probably i mean i think there's a case to be made if you're like a super religious person that there's some sort of like divine providence in it that i can see them spinning it easily you know what i mean like uh, they kept us all home this day to say god saved us this day yeah like if i was super religious that would be like the first place my mind went right Mm -hmm. but that aside even if you don't go there even if you're a complete atheist right it is fucking wild that everybody was late to the practice at once and the church exploded. And that's just like what happened. Cause they're all still, they all lived and they were all like in the paper and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I want to desperately try to explain it. I clearly can't, but I like, you know, I want to give it a shot, but I got nothing. You got me stumped.
Uh, something I was saying that was uh, it's kind of weirdly tangential, but it kind of reminds me of the people like the group of people who, who missed their flights on 9-11 because of weird things that have happened and they missed their, you know, their certain doom on that particular day as well. Right, yeah. but there were a lot uh, of people who didn't. You know what I mean? Like, there, yes. Yeah. There that's anybody, did we know, did anybody die in that church? Did any, I'm no out of curiosity. Everybody there was, there lived. Was, Everybody did, did not a like, single person. It was good. literally even the guy who came in and like thought he was lighting the pilot liar, thought he was lighting the heater. He mm. was like gone three hours ago. You know what I mean? So it, it, <laughs> oh, it just like, the whole church blew up. Uh, but yeah, Seth MacFarlane was one of those guys. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. He's one mm -hmm. of the guys who didn't fly on 9-11 and he like lived. Isn't that yeah. insane? But in he that like case, slept in or something. In that case, it's weird because like that thing that happened was like globally important news immediately mm -hmm. where like a oh, church, sure. a church blowing up is like maybe two yeah. seconds on the national news just because it's crazy or like, you know, maybe one night of craziness because everybody was late. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just an interesting little story to think about. Great little palate cleanser. I always like to start with a short one at the top just to get everybody mm. you know, a moose boosh. You know what I'm saying? Get everybody going. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's a story where a bunch of people didn't die. So here's one where a bunch of people do die. Take it away, Yay. Jesse. Wow. <laughs> Number eight, Killer Cash. Uh, shout outs to George Thwaites at the Bluefield Daily Telegraph for this story. Uh, let's jump from 1950s Nebraska to 2008 West Virginia for a story about a man named Randall Lee Smith, uh, who's known locally as Lying Randall. Uh, which is not a just good not a nickname. Yeah, you not want. great. Yeah. not not what you're hoping for as a kid. Uh, but one day that spring, he was reported missing by his neighbors in Parisburg, West Virginia. Uh, now, a missing persons report is something that you should always take seriously, uh, right? But the police took the parent the disappearance of lying Randall extra serious because Randall Smith also happened to be a convicted felon who years earlier in 1981 pled guilty to two counts of second degree murder for killing two hikers near the Wapiti shelter on the Appalachian trail. Oh my God. Uh, yes. Yeah. Police cadaver dogs eventually had to be called and they found the bodies buried in the dirt nearby and tightly wrapped in their sleeping bags and were eventually discovered to be two 27 year old social workers called Laura Susan Ramsey and Robert Mountford jr. Uh, Mountford was shot in the head with a 22 caliber pistol while Ramsey was shown to have fought for her life, had defensive injuries on her hands, 13 puncture wounds from a long nail, uh, a head wound from being struck with a piece of iron, as well as several knife wounds. And while the body was in too poor of a condition to determine for sure, sexual assault was also heavily suspected. So lying Randall was not a cool dude. No, he was a piece of shit. Uh, but anyway, Randall Smith was sent to prison for this. Uh, there was a book written about the case called Murder on the Appalachian Trail. These were called the Appalachian Trail Murders. They're very famous. You can like find them. There's lots to see about them. Uh, and uh, Smith was eventually released uh, 15 years later in 1996, at which point he moved into his dead mother's house in Parisburg, West Virginia, where he was to serve 10 years of home incarceration, which is basically what we all have all been doing for the past two years. Uh, he never really bothered anyone and people only really saw him out on the cliffs above his house, chilling and stuff or not at all uh, until two years after his home incarceration was up in 2008. Uh, people heard about him going up on the cliffs and the cops first just thought maybe he got hurt somewhere out on a trail or something. Uh, but eventually he walked out of the woods himself on May 8th, 2008, uh, looking 
emaciated with a fishing rod and a dog. And he and he walked out of the woods in the camp of two guys from Tazewell, Virginia, which is a hilarious name for a town uh, who were out trout fishing. And they literally said he just walked out of the night into their camp with a dog and a fishing rod. And he looked like he was starving to death. Uh, Apparently, lying Randall tried to convince them that he was an engineering graduate from Virginia Tech. Uh, (laughs) But even though they both saw through him immediately, they felt bad because he literally looked that like frail and like emaciated yeah so they decided to share dinner with him uh however things went south when he whipped a 22 caliber revolver out of his pants literally the same 22 caliber revolver that he did those murders with in the 80s uh a gun that they never found in the original crimes put bullets in both of these dudes stole their truck and drove off uh somehow the dudes both lived uh, which you can find out more about on the show I Survived, which is a great show if you don't know about it, though I'm sure if you listen to this show that you probably already know about I Survived. Uh, but Randall Smith overturned their stolen pickup truck and totaled it while trying to escape some state troopers that night before he was arrested and charged with two counts of attempted capital murder and then uh, was transferred to the medical unit at the New River Regional Jail where he died two days later on May 10th, 2008 of a blood clot. Uh, and that's where the life of Randall Lee Smith ends. But weirdly enough, that's not where his story ends, because the day before he died, May 9th, 2008, another hiker on the trail comes forward to the police, uh, a man whose name was William Reading, uh, but who most people on the Appalachian Trail know as Moondog. Uh, so <laughs> Moondog yeah, dude, that dude's got some good moonshine. You know, yeah. he does. Moondog. You think Moondog uh, sells moonshine? <laughs> no, he sells weed no. for sure. One hundred percent. Yeah, he sells weed and he sells like really good burritos, maybe. Um, but uh, he said he was camping nearby in a thicket uh, when all of a sudden he hears someone drive up in a Ford Ranger pickup, which he knew by sound uh, because he well for, he also knew the taillights, but he also said he knew it because of the sound of when the doors open and it wants you to know the doors open. He like recognized the sound of a Ford Ranger. Uh, that that that's doing that. And he said that he heard that and he was like Ford Ranger. And then he heard someone like get out and was like frantically digging around, looking around and cussing with a flashlight. And it seemed like he was looking for something that he expected to be there, but he couldn't find it. And then Moondog was like, hey, and the guy was like and like took off, just like sped off and like ran <laughs> off into the night. Um, get him, and uh, yeah, so here's a here's a quote uh, from the cops about what happened next. Uh, so this is for Jesse to read here. Uh, and uh, yeah, here you go. So we went with Moondog back to the campsite and you could not tell that he'd been there. A couple of us walked down the road and he said, stop right there. That's where he was. Look around. Sure enough, that's Moondog. Sure enough. <laughs> right in this brush pile, we found stuff that was Smith's. We were sure it belonged to Smith because it had things like his GED certificate that he got when he was in prison. His birth certificate was in it. Wow. A couple of other things, including a little tape recorder that had a tape of some kind of ritual. You could hear people moaning and screaming. Sounded like a witchcraft thing. Uh, they also found handwritten incantations that they thought came from Wicca or Thelema, uh, a police scanner with a list of all the codes they used, 
uh, a battery operated TV and maps molded from plastic that showed areas of the nearby counties with little places circled. Uh, and here's a quote from another cop uh, from Mathis oh. to read that I'm going to drop in the uh, Twitter now for you. Okay. <clears throat> I'm on Twitter. Just give it to me. He's yeah, I'll, he's, give, he's it, I'll give it a refresh. It'll show up that way. Yeah. He's yeah, there. You go. Okay. We searched those places and didn't find anything. There was, I don't know how many dozens of knives. Most of them looked like kitchen knives. There were a couple of hunting knives and maybe a butcher knife, but dozens of knives. There were clothes. I'm wanting to say eight pairs of ladies underwear. There were several pair of eyeglasses that, uh, that were either ladies or unisex style eyeglasses. Yeah, and apparently neither the eyeglasses nor the underwear or even the knives ever led anywhere because they were, like, cleaned. Uh, but they did eventually discover that based on the extremely similar wording and a couple of phonetic-based spelling errors that they found in his handwritten notes, it is very likely that the versions of the Hail to the Guardians of the Watchtowers and Now is the Time, Now is the Hour incantations that he wrote are the ones that are from the movie The Craft. Like he, oh. they think he copied them from the craft. Uh, <laughs> now I want to emphasize the police work on this case was excellent and that there are not very many unturned stones here as far as like bad detective work is concerned. Uh, the cops on this case seem to have actually done a completely comprehensive job. No reason to think they did otherwise, but the contents of the cash and the weird maps and everything Leave some questions uh, because nobody knows what his connection to the occult was. The rumor at the time was that he like sold his soul to the devil and was like trying to outrun the devil or something. That's like what people were saying in the neighborhood. Nobody knows if like maybe the caches are like something about like his real bad crimes that we don't even know about that he did because he was a pretty fucked up customer. Nobody knows. Uh, I was going to say like just from like my my serial killer stuff like knowledge. It seems like. I mean, we only know he's only got those two two confirmed kills, right? Yeah, it just it it, it seems like and it's he either, shot those two guys. Yeah, he tried. Yeah, he tried to kill two others, but that was, seemed like a like a weird desperation thing. It seemed like he was in his, what like his ramp up phase, where like he maybe those were his first kills ever. Those underwear probably collected from stalking incidents and the like. It seemed like he was maybe a killer, a serial killer, ramping up and getting ready to enter like a phase of real heavy violence before he was caught because he zoned his own stupidity and, and idiocy. It's just Which wild because it was twenty years. You think know? of itself, like any just the, anything could have gone differently, and who knows what he could have done. Yeah, it's just wild because it had been twenty years. You know what I mean? Like he was just like nowhere for twenty years, and then one day he's like yep. instantly a crime, and then he's dead, and then they find this crazy cash. So Which just it, makes me think, like, what has he been doing for all those years beforehand? Yeah. And who's Moondog? Did Moondog was Moondog really just some hippie in a bush that like <laughs> happened to see him? And he had like chanting. They don't think the chanting was from the craft. They think that what he wrote was from the craft and that the chanting mm-hmm. is. They think it's probably a recording of something like like not not like a bunch of dudes in a room that he recorded, but rather like some piece of media. But nobody knows what it is because those tapes are not public. He was, if know. he was living in those woods and people camped there regularly, it's very likely he was probably stalking people's camps, maybe quietly recording people. Who knows? Like, yeah, like it's possible that he could have just been like some crazy, like forest killer, you know, like yeah. some insane, like, like dozens of knives, underwear, like 
I don't know. I mean, this goes right into, this kind of ties into missing 411 in a weird way. And who knows how many of those cases are people, like people just in the woods doing horrible, horrible things and never getting caught because they're in the fucking woods. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I saw somebody online saying <laughs> Whoa, that. Jesse, just no, no, no. I saw somebody online saying that maybe Moondog is a friend of this guy and that he was like trying to like be like, yo, dude, like we're going to make your legends real. You know, like we're going to like, oh. like make this into something crazy. But I don't know. That's like yeah. not substantiated by anything real. I don't mess with any forest people. You know, right yeah, now. Yeah, man. No. The they hill have knowledge we the don't have. They have, no, they have knowledge we don't have. I literally had an experience in high school with them. I think I've said it yep. on this show. Yep. You have. Like, yeah. dudes came out the woods and like looked around and we were like, no, thank you. Like, what, yeah. are, what are cops going to do about that shit out there, man? There's nothing they can do. It's Mm-mm. just like, it's hundreds of miles yeah. of woods in any direction trying to find anybody in that is is a, a task unto itself yeah abs- absolutely insane absolutely wild um but yeah speaking of historical discoveries jesse hit me number nine Om seti Perfect. is that how you say it you nailed it. Uh, oh. Credit for this one goes to uh, Peter Presker at historyofyesterday.com and to the many wonderful editors of a fantastic Wikipedia article uh, that is very well uh, cross-checked. So that's cool. Uh, now let's go from the world of true detective to the world of like kind of like Indiana Jones or I guess actually more all like right, right. the Brendan Fraser's iconic 1999 remake of The Mummy. Uh, more accurately, if I take you out across the Atlantic Ocean, back in time to London, 1907, where right a three-year-old girl called Dorothy Edie has just fallen down the stairs at her family home and was pronounced dead by the family physician. Uh, at first, her family was completely, absolutely heartbroken. But not an hour later, the doctor came back to find Dorothy alive and healthy again, having miraculously bounced back from some sort of head injury, which must have just like... Shut her off for a little bit. Put her into standby <laughs> mode for a little bit, apparently. Right. Uh, which happens sometimes with people. True. You know, sometimes people literally get hit in the head and they seem dead and then they just aren't um, like, you know, it's, it's nuts. Um, but uh, things are never quite the same with Dorothy after that. Anyway, uh, pretty soon she developed something called foreign accent syndrome, mm. uh, where, where mm, sometimes. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, as the result of mental or physical trauma to the brain, people can sometimes mysteriously develop a foreign accent from a place they never lived to pick up the accent. Um, sometimes it's a specific accent. Sometimes it's just like some kind of strange made up foreign accent. That's like something from your own brain that you just start doing. Um but uh, she also started to run and hide under the table in the kitchen and beg her parents to take her quote unquote home, uh, which she saw in her dreams and was filled with huge columned buildings and wonderful green gardens. Um, one year later, after a year of causing trouble at her Sunday school for getting weirdly obsessed with defending the ancient Egyptian religion in class, uh, when she was just four years old, she went to the British Museum uh, where Jesse just was recently, probably. Yeah. Uh, uh, which uh, she thought was super duper boring until she got to the Egyptian exhibits where suddenly she brightened up and began hugging and kissing the feet of the statues and begging her parents to let her stay there forever. 
Um, three years later, on another visit, she found a photo in the New Kingdom exhibit from the Temple of Seti I and lost her mind. She told her parents that the place in the picture was the home from her dreams, but that she was sad because the pictures of it that she was looking at there didn't have the gardens. She was like, where are the gardens? The gardens are missing from this place. What the hell? Uh, so a couple years later, um, because uh, World War I was happening and bombs were falling in London, she moved out to live with her grandmother in Sussex, uh, where she slowly descended deeper and deeper into her obsession with ancient Egypt until one day uh, when she was 15, uh, she was visited in the night in her dreams by the mummy of Pharaoh Seti I. Oh, God, she, why couldn't you go in like your living being form? Why do you have to be in decayed mummy form? I feel exactly the same way, especially <laughs> because right after that, they had sex with each other. Uh, no, which, yeah, God. No. That's right. Oh, that's right. She had oh. sex with the mummy, according to what? her own autobiography. Sorry. <laughs> that rigor mortis heart. I wish I could tell you that it wasn't it. true, but she wrote it in her own autobiography. Um, and uh, <laughs> oh, maybe God. it was like the guy, maybe it's like, you know, kind of hot emotep where there's like. He's a got like a bit couple. of like mummy, but like most oh, of them there. Oh, you think she's there. like a, a World War One goth? He looks like mostly like a dude, but he like still a bug can crawl out of one part yeah, of his like face out and of his go face in the other. Bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I got to eat it again because it's kind of hot. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of hot in like a magic really. kind of mm. way. No, it's mm. not. If I was like in in like World of Warcraft, I could get into it, I guess. No. A, I, sorry to, 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 to tangent, but do you, I'm assuming you've seen the new, new remake of The Mummy, which I have not seen. I haven't seen no. the movie, but I, I, oh, I was going to say, does she get like a pseudo half dead, half hot form? She has. But, no, she has like eyes, I think, is her thing. I think I haven't oh. seen it, but uh, OK, I played the I played the like way forward 2D game, which was excellent. I heard that was great. Yeah, yeah the D make. Uh, I don't know. It's not the same movie for sure. Like it's no, way no. whack. It's way more whack. Um, <laughs> anyway, continue, continue. Yeah, so she had sex with the mummy of Pharaoh City the first in her dreams, uh, and that kickstarted an entire series of nighttime dreams and visions, which she wrote about in her journals forever and ever and ever. She was also constantly found sleepwalking or having extremely intense nightmares by her grandmother, which eventually, which eventually led her to several incarcerations in various sanatoriums around England, uh, and she left school completely by age 16. However, because her family was wealthy with, like, English movie industry money, uh, she didn't go to school, but she was like a rich person. So she just like spent her time geeking out about Egypt and collecting Egyptian artifacts and enrolling in art school so she could learn about Egypt. Uh, and at one point, she was also in a play where she played uh, Isis opposite Osiris uh, uh, in a play. And by the time she was 27 years old, she was working at an Egyptian PR magazine, writing articles and pro Egyptian independence political cartoons. Uh, and then she met her boyfriend, Iman Abdel Magid a student from Egypt who she eventually moved with back to Egypt to get married. Uh, and she gave birth uh, to her son with him, who she named Seti with a Y instead of an I after the Pharaoh. Of course. Got to keep it modern. This is gotta like that, that spin on it. That guy who's like 55 years old, who's like a white dude from like California, but he like loves Hawaii. But then like times 10 uh, is what happened here. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Uh, yeah. Apparently she had a past life. Yeah. Apparently when she first set foot on Egyptian soil, she kissed the ground and said something along the lines of finally I've come home to stay. Uh, and from the thirties to the fifties, she just sort of became like a known figure around the various temples and pyramid sites because she had this insane knowledge. She would like bring offerings to the temples. Like they were still temples uh, and she would take her shoes off when she would visit. And all the while in private, 
for 20 years, she was still experiencing these visions and freely talking about all this stuff that was going on with her to people that to the point that her husband huh. and her family were getting like, actually like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, what are you like? You got to stop this like Egypt weeb shit. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is <laughs> this is way too much. Uh, but apparently, according to an apparition of horror that visited oh, okay. her regularly for over a year wow. in a previous life, she had been a young woman in ancient Egypt called Ben Treshit, which translated to harp of joy whose vegetable seller mother died, which caused her to be placed in the temple of Qom el Sutan because her soldier father couldn't afford to raise a kid. And she was raised instead to be a priestess and took the vows of a consecrated virgin. Um, apparently one of her duties was performing as Isis in a yearly play at the temple, just like Dorothy did in college. And as a result, one day she caught the eye of who else but Pharaoh Seti the first himself and they, oh, and, wow. they and they quickly became lovers though for, <laughs> so, though for some reason back in ancient Egypt, their cute name for becoming lovers was eating the uncooked goose, which is just not a good <laughs> idiom. I'm going to say, but when she became pregnant with his child, she decided to take her own life instead of subject Seti to the public outrage for doing something so blasphemous. So she, Fucking killed herself and said he went on to have a great legacy. Um, and uh, back in the present day, Dorothy's family had just about had enough of this nonsense about being a reincarnation from Egypt, ancient Egypt. Her husband filed for divorce, left her with her son. So she decided to dedicate the rest of her life to becoming a scholar of ancient Egypt, which literally she slowly and surely over the course of 20 years did gained a lot of mainstream respect in the field worked as a draftswoman at the Department of Antiquities, earned various shout-outs in scholarly publications, including a, quote, special mention with sincere gratitude in Salim Hassan's 10-volume Excavations at Giza, which is a very big, important work in Egyptology uh, at the time. Uh, and eventually, however, though, after, like I said, 20 years of working in the field, she had become known as Am Seti uh, after a Muslim custom of referring to a mother with the name of her firstborn son, which in her case is Seti. So she's Alm Seti. And finally, she was able to get a job near her quote unquote home temple of Seti the first in Abydos. And with the approval of the spirit of Seti the first himself, she set out with a mission to offset the sins of her past self in the modern times by doing right by the temple. Uh, so at one point, the chief inspector of the antiquities department had come to the temple to test her alleged special knowledge of Egypt by having her walk around the room in total darkness and stand at various wall paintings and ask her to identify them based on what oh, she I knew. I think from I've heard this. Yeah. She, she, she identified them based on what she knew from her days as a priestess, which according to biography, she was able to do flawlessly, even though they were not, it was not published information. It was like information that this doctor had about the temple and she, she just did it just like him. Uh, she spent two years skillfully translating some of the most enigmatic texts the antiquities department had on file. She wrote out a liturgical calendar of ancient Egyptian feast days. She said she still felt a deep connection to the temple and she would visit every morning and every night to recite the proper prayers, make her offerings, and even converted one of the rooms of the temple into her personal office, which she shared with a cobra, which she made friends with by feeding it. Uh, and now what? we're going to go back to the gardens again, which I've now mentioned several times where she was like, this is my home, but where are the gardens? 
The reason this garden was so special to her was because she said that that's where Ben Trashit and Seti first met and fell in love with each other is in these gardens. But there was never any record of it anywhere uh, until she came to Abydos herself and she was like, dig right there. And they excavated fucking gardens exactly how she said they would be laid out exactly how said how she said they would be. Uh, and uh, anyway, she continued to live a life just like this all through the 50s and 60s and 70s using the curative power of certain holy places to maintain her health, curing other people's ailments regularly with Egyptian folk medicine. Uh, especially, she was famous for curing impotence. Uh, and she became an even more respected member of the Egyptology community to the point that she even published a few things completely on her own, like real peer-reviewed academic work. Uh, uh, she had a small heart attack in 1972. Uh, but again, remember, she was born in 1907. She was, she was getting on at this time. Uh, she moved into a small reed hut uh, before permanently settling in a mud brick house next to the family home of a fa uh, family of Seti Temple timekeepers, where she lived out the rest of her days, mingling with Egyptologists and receiving more and more secrets of the ancient world from Seti I, including possibly the location of Nefertiti's missing tomb. Uh, apparently, she started claiming that she knew where it was in the early 70s, but she didn't want to say where it was out of respect for Seti I, who fucking hated Nefertiti's husband, Akhenaten, uh, for his blasphemous attempts to rewrite ancient Egypt's religion, which is not a fake thing. Like, if you ever studied ancient Egypt or you know anything about Akhenaten, you know that this dude was like, he wasn't as like, I don't think he was as wild as Caligula, but it was the same vibe where it was like, this dude was in power. He was doing some wild shit. Everybody was like, what are you doing? He was like changing the art style of Egypt and then after, after, uh, and he changed the religion, he like changed the capital and all this stuff. And then after he was done, they like destroyed his face off all his monuments. And they were like, yeah, they tried to wipe him. They from literally history. were like, that guy did not exist. Fuck that guy. Uh, that's <laughs> like, he was like a truly hated Pharaoh by like everyone. And so, uh, she was like, I don't want to like put honor on Nefertiti's family. Uh, but she did say that it was super close to Tutankhamun's tomb even though popularly scholarly opinion at the time dictated that the Valley of Kings didn't have any more <clears> tombs in it. Sure enough, in 1998, following up on two sonar data anomalies from 1976, Egyptologist Nicholas Reed found two more unbroken seals similar to those found on other tombs nearby in that exact area from the same seal guy. Uh, they scanned the area two years later, uh, showing evidence for two empty chambers, uh, but some possible thefts in the area put pause on thing until 2006 when another unrelated dig accidentally broke through the wall into one of the sealed areas, which turned out to be filled with all kinds of mummy making gear for a royal burial, lead, lending evidence to the other room actually being a tomb. Like there's actually credence to the other room being a tomb. Another uh, paper by Reeves from 2015 seemingly confirmed the find, uh, though it's not been unsealed. Uh, and since then, another scan from like 2019 said there might not be something there. So it's not for sure, for sure. Uh, but Seti the first and Dorothy have also claimed that there's a hall of records attached to the temple of Amun-Ra Luxor that has supposedly like library of Alexandria level ancient texts in it that could be found and that it's currently buried under the modern Arab Socialist League building nearby. But I don't know how old that factoid is and if that building even exists. I couldn't find it on Google. Um, but you'll have to read the book Om Seti's Egypt for more information. You can get it for pretty cheap on Amazon. And I get the sense there's tons more weird stuff like this in there than I'm even covering here. Um, but as she got older, pilgrimage to the temple happened less and less. 
though she was able to make one last trip in March of 1981 with the National Geographic Channel when she was 77 <clears> years <throat> old. They helped her get up there by like carrying her and stuff with the crew. Uh, but by April of 81, her condition had deteriorated so much that she gave away her cats and she'd built her own underground tomb, uh, even with like some like religious idols inside. And on April 21st, 1981, she died peacefully in Abydos. Uh, sadly, however, the health department would not let her be buried in her homemade tomb. So she was instead what? buried in an unmarked grave facing west in the desert outside a Coptic cemetery, uh, which is kind of sad now that I think about it. Uh, but that is the tale of Amseti. What do you think of that? If that's all 100% true, that's a wild story. The things that are true is that she pointed out where a garden was uh, that was not known about before. And she was able to identify things that an Egyptologist was the only living person who knew about. That's what's true. It's See, also cool. true. It's also true that she was a real figure in the, in the, in the scene. Sure, yeah, yeah. She wasn't like, it wasn't like crazy old Om Seti. I mean, like they all knew she was, they they all knew she was wacky, but they weren't like she does not know shit about Egypt. Like, like right. that was not ever in question. She was like an expert. She was just extremely. She's like a Harry Potter professor about ancient Egypt. You know what I mean? Like she was just like yeah. a wacky doo doo lady. But like it's inexplicable some of that stuff that she did. So I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. It's a weird time because it was like it is almost modern times because it's like the 70s and 80s. But there's like a lot of things missing from those times that we have now that would make it a lot easier to find this out. So, I, you know, I don't know. What do you what do you guys think? Is it is it convincing? Oh, it's definitely like interesting. I find it good. Good, if, reasonable answer. It's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very interesting. I don't know. Like, I don't know what else to say about it just because it. Like she bonked her head and she awoken up her past life. Like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Imagine it's like tw- the year 2400, you know, you're, you're reincarnated or, you know, the, the breadcrumb wars are in full swing. You crack your head on a rock. <laughs> you see a picture of smoggy LA from 2021. And suddenly all you do is crave to move back to LA because it's like, you're I home. need a double, double again, <laughs> but I you couldn't, we're definitely underwater by then. You're, Definitely. Yeah. It's like the island of America versus the island of Europe for the last the island crumbs. of America versus the island of East America. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, speaking of water, uh, Jesse hit us up with this next one. Number 10, the rain boy, <laughs> the rain boy, the rain boy. This one like, comes. This one's weird. <laughs> This is, like this. this is you don't like the phrase the rain boy the rain boy right. it comes off as strange to me but i guess no stranger than anything else the weird thing about it is that it's always called the rain boy online but it's like a man i don't know i don't know why <laughs> it's i don't know why it's why he's called the rain boy it's disrespectful is what it is i guess Incredibly. this one this one comes to us courtesy of christina tattoo from the pocono record and it's set only a few years after the second passing of om seti in 1983 it was february 26th and this dude called don decker was on compassionate leave from a prison sentence he was serving in monroe county for receiving stolen property because his grandfather had just died okay so that's what he was doing he was out on he was out to go to this funeral uh, but according to some accounts, this grandfather had actually been a like dark figure in this dude's life who regularly beat him and abused him from a very young age. So this might have been a weird occasion for Don, weirder than you might imagine it would be. And maybe, you know, it's one of those situations where you have a chance to get out of jail, even though you hated this fucking guy, you know, you're going to take your chance to like, right, not be, be in jail for a little, for a little bit. bit. <laughs> um, 
And so anyway, while he was out on leave, he was crashing with some family friends, Bob and Jeannie Kiefer. And it was a pretty normal night. Don was upstairs in one of the bathrooms getting ready to come down and have dinner with everybody when suddenly he says he has this vision of an old man wearing a crown that he saw reflected in the window glass. Uh, and it freaked him out and he fell on his hands and knees uh, against his will. And when he looked down at his wrists, which had suddenly began to burn, he saw deep and unexplainable scratches in his skin. And at first, he just tried to pull himself together and come down to dinner. But just as soon as he sat down and started to explain what happened to him, all three of them heard a loud sound coming from upstairs. And when they looked at the area of the ceiling where it came from, they noticed, "Uh oh, wait a minute. There's water dripping down all around us on the walls and ceilings. And that doesn't make any sense. Okay. Sounds like a burst pipe. That's scary. So now at this point, everyone's freaked out. Sounds like rain boy. Yeah, <laughs> we got it. Sounds it like we got I realized they can't call him Rain Man because the movie. Uh, that's, that's probably why the classic case of a we got a classic. This is a classic rain, textbook Rain Boy situation. Uh, <laughs> everybody's freaked out. So Bob Kiefer calls up Ron Van Wy, his landlord. His name is literally called Ron Van like why? Uh, and the two of them started to poke around, check it out. Obviously, the first thing they thought was that maybe it was a leaked pipe or a burst pipe. But after looking into it, they realized that the pipes are actually coming down the other side of the house on the complete wrong side. And the water was still coming and Decker had fallen into some kind of trance. So Bob and Rod did what you wish everyone would do in these kind of situations. So you can get some proper documentation. He called the local authorities. Hey. Uh, yeah. So like eventually these two officers, John Bojan and Richard Wolbert show up. They are completely convinced this dude is possessed or something based on what they see. But when they, uh, Call in uh, the chief of police uh, just uh, like they saw just to give you an idea of how real this was. They saw this dude. They were like, oh, shit, let's call the chief. Like, that's what happened. And he came down and he was like, no, this is bullshit. Do not entertain dumb shit like this. Don't even follow a report. This is embarrassing. Shut the fuck up. But I guess they were pretty freaked out. These two cops, because the next day, two more cops, William Davies and John Rundle show up anyway. And they're like, fuck the chief. Something's going on. We're going to figure this out. And according to them, they saw more claw marks appear on Don Decker's neck in real time, just like they did oh, on the shit. first night. And they also apparently saw him float into the air and get thrown across the room. And they saw him burn himself by touching a cross. And all the while, the weird indoor rain phenomenon that had started Friday night continued straight through to Sunday night when it finally stopped because Don Decker had to go back to prison. Uh, but this wasn't even close to over because apparently the indoor rain came with him back to prison. The officers on duty reported that water wasn't just falling from the ceiling, but doing strange, unnatural things like running up the walls of certain cells in the jail or literally falling horizontally through the air as if gravity shifted and it was raining 90 degrees. Uh, apparently, the shift supervisor is a guy named Dave Keenhold came in ready to shut down the like rabble. He was like, all right, let's see what the fuck's going on here. But then he freaked out because it rained on him like straight at him. <laughs> It rained straight at him. He looked at Rain Boy. Rain Boy snapped his fingers. Like a water gun? And, no. And yeah, water gun no, like, from like, there. Okay. He walked in to be like, what is this? And then he saw rain literally falling like as if it was falling from the sky, but it was falling from in front of him, like onto him, like up like a inversion of gravity, water falling onto his face, like a wall of water, like rain inside the room. Yeah. And wait, uh, so the rain doesn't act how 
Yeah, so that's it's pressurized wa- rain is what you're saying. It's it rain. Just rain falling. It's if it's that way, yes. it is spraying at him. It's like <laughs> not falling. falling. Like it's not being projected. It's moving as if it's falling. It's it it looks like rain. It's just happening 90 degrees turned. That's yeah. I know. That's not even how physics works, but okay. It's right. definitely it's, it's, it's certainly it. not how physics work. Uh, so now at this point, Supervisor Keenhold is like, we need to bring in the big guns. He calls in the fucking chaplain, a guy named William Blackburn, to literally perform a full-on exorcism on this guy. Uh, again, this is not the Old West. This is America in the 1980s. But apparently, this dude was a badass priest because that shit worked. Rain did not fall anymore. Uh, and uh, the exorcism was the thing that did it. And rain never fell again. Uh, but to be fair, I did want a few counterpoints to this article because it is fucking insane. Uh, so just to honor the idea that we're saying that this might be real, you know, like I don't want to like say this could be real and not give any sort of counterpoint to it. So Jesse, if you'd be, right, right, right. That if you'd be, be so kind as to read this for the people, here's a quote from Skeptic Magazine about this case from a guy called Robert Bartholomew. He's like a researcher. Imagine you got shitty waterbending powers and then a priest prayed on you and you got then you lost them all. I know. That's why you got to go. I mean, I've seen season powers. one of Korra. It's roughly the same. Yeah, (laughs) that's why you got to go to the devil to get your powers. Oh, dude, he doesn't answer the phone. All right. Why not phone the local TV station to record this event? All we are left with are eyewitness accounts from excited observers with the worldview that includes the reality of the devil. Human perception is notoriously unreliable, even under ideal conditions. Stress can alter perceptions, and it is difficult to imagine few events more stressful than believing you are in the presence of a man who is possessed by demonic forces. While so-called trance states may be triggered by stress and do not necessarily denote mental illness or disorder, they are also easily faked. It is remarkable Decker did not receive medical attention. Instead, attempts were made to exercise him. Pretty reasonable point, I would say, from this guy, right? Yeah, um, I agree. But uh, doesn't really explain the rain situation that everybody was experiencing. Uh, I've got nothing that comes close to explaining what the jail guys said happened at Mar- Monroe County. But at least as far as the events in the house were concerned, it is a fact that in the area where the house was located, which, by the way, is in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, over in the Northeast. Here is a little quote for you to read, Mathis, as the final yeah. thought for this section. Here we go. OK, OK. This is on uh, Twitter as well. Yeah, I'm going to drop it in right now. There it is. As for the rain, a report by the Manufactured Housing Research Alliance says Pennsylvania is at a moderate to high risk for winter moisture problems, with one of the most severe events being ice damming. This is caused by warm air entering an attic that melts snow on the outer uh, outer surface of a roof, resulting in an accumulation of ice under which pools of water form and leak. Yeah, so there is a possibility that somehow ice, like ran from the pipes like over somewhere else and then became a big ice and then that came apart and like melted for several days but it's still probably not what happened based on what if if what they described happened that's probably not what it was but this is a thing that people know about in this place and when you look at this and you post on reddit and you're like oh this was in stroudsburg pennsylvania this is what people say it is so i just wanted to put that in there and leave that there um But anyway, whatever you make of it, if you're somewhere operating in an official capacity and you see something weird, fucking make a record of it. Uh, You know, unless, of course. We got phones now. Record that shit. Yeah, just whip it out. Uh, Unless it's being recorded already, which brings us to. Time out. (laughs) I can't believe we're going to move on 
from the fact that you're telling me demons they're i'm not telling you demons demons have come to earth they have they are they are inhabiting and possessing they are doing their thing and they're the way they're going to get humans is with the minor inconvenience of being wet I'm gonna say <laughs> you're telling me that they were I'm like, saying and that now they thought, you're wet. <laughs> I'm saying That's that what he they did? thought. I'm saying he thought he saw demons, and that a bunch <clears> of <throat> cops came and looked at him, and they all saw something real freaky happening with water all around him in various different locations. Stuff that is like water. beyond. That's what they not flies or like water, brimstone the, or the, like it, this is he was having a mental war and he was able to negate the negatives oh, instead God, of flies. Do you think it was one of the witches from that house that we never talked about? Such is the like, way of the rain boy. Like the Professor X. No, 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 no. You have to touch. You have to touch your temple to like calibrate it or whatever he does. Right. Yeah. And the rings trying to cause. He was trying to cause some hellfire, but the water around him. What the reason why they're getting sprayed with the water is because it was it was making it so they wouldn't catch on fire. Oh my God! Those witches got it. Do you think Professor X like blows like smoke ring? Like, do you think he like tries to like nail the shape of those little? psychic waves that shoot out like he's like Gandalf like he like shoots out like a ship sometimes <laughs> I think sometimes dolphin. yeah yeah I think he would I feel like he can do fucking keep it my fun. professor X would yeah he's a, he's my professor X is Patrick Stewart like literally it's the it's Patrick Stewart but he has powers right, uh, and right. it's too late because he's already seen everything uh, <laughs> all right. uh anyway yes that's that record stuff unless it's being recorded already segue to Number eleven. Wait, hold on, I can do better. I can do better. Yeah. Number eleven. Nope, that sucked. Hold on, Ooh. I can do better. Quaaludes. Number eleven. <laughs> there it is. Clay. <laughs> clay. Hold on. How many say he wouldn't say clay? He'd be like clay. He'd be like clay. <laughs> clay. Clay. Uh, all right. So it was the morning of August 13th, 1997. And just like every other morning for the last nine years or so at that time, Howard Stern was broadcasting a live episode of the Howard Stern show. Uh, yeah. Just in case the people have somehow not heard of Howard Stern. Do when you guys want to give everybody a quick refresher on who Howard My Stern God. is. Howard Stern is the original shock jock. Unless maybe like, I don't know, uh, maybe I'm he's not the original, but he's like the he's one. one of them. He's the guy. Yeah. 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 He, when you think of a shock jocks, everything uh, that Joe Rogan is today, he has, he has Howard Stern to thank 100%. Right. Howard Stern was a popular, for those of you who are young, Howard Stern was a popular figure when I was a kid. And uh, continue to be a popular figure through all of uh, high school and everything. He still is. And then he went to satellite radio at a certain point, and he was the first guy to like make satellite radio like a reason why you would subscribe to satellite radio if you he had satellite radio money. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, and he was like very, very popular, and he always like had hot takes, and that's pretty much you know, tw- he had a TV show. Like exactly. everything. He had a movie. A movie? Yeah. yeah. A literal movie. Uh, exactly. And most and most importantly for today, because it was the type of show that it was, and because it went to the places it off it went to, it really took a lot to like rattle Howard Stern. 
You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. when a caller, when a caller going by the name of Clay called in that morning from the New Orleans area, he was about to take everyone listening to the show for a wild ride. Uh, so, Jesse, I'd like you to be Howard and Robin, who is Howard Stern's oh, co-host, since they both kind of got involved. Uh, I'm not going to like separate their lines. I just like mix them together into like lines that make sense. Uh, and Mathis, I'd like you to be Clay. Is that OK? All right, I'll be Clay. So I'm going to send you guys some like choice clips. Oh, I'm excited. This is to be a Clay. terrible idea. You guys are just going to play this out the Howard Stern idea. show. Here we go. Ready? <laughs> is this going to be on uh, on the Twitter? Yeah, it's there. Okay. My Twitter's just always behind for some weird this reason. Is a, this is a terrible idea. I don't know how Howard Stern All sounds. Right. I see it. He's right. like, yeah. he talks like this. He's just like, you know, he's got a really deep voice. Talks like this. Hey, I got a guy on the phone who claims he's been killing prostitutes and he's wondering why he's doing it. <laughs> Oh, so God, maybe he thinks me read I this. have answer. Uh, is this Ed? Ed? <sighs> no, this isn't Ed. Oh, you, you haven't killed any prostitutes? No, I, I never said my name was Ed. Oh. So, wh- wh- hold on. Where is where is Robin? You are both. You're just saying both of their lines as if they were one person. Oh, well, 100% Robin would have said, oh, you haven't killed any prostitutes? <laughs> for well, sure that's like, Robin well, line. He, they were like they were like uh is it ed is it ed and he's like no this is not ed and they're like oh you haven't killed any prostitutes and he's like no i didn't say my name was ed i have killed a bunch of prostitutes and they're like oh okay all right yeah <laughs> what name do you use uh you can call me clay okay clay so what happened how many prostitutes have you killed mm, 12 and you're wondering why you do it no i have a pretty good idea why? Did your mom beat you? Did your mom spank you? Was your mom a prostitute? No, actually, it's nothing like that. What was it then? I think I just do it for the sense of power. Right. Uh, do you have sex with them first? Yeah. And, and then what? You strangle them? Well, once. How else would you kill them? Well, a few times, actually. Most of the times with a hammer. Yeah. And then that yeah, goes that on. Call, you can go listen to that call. I've heard that yeah, call before. It's like an 11 he minute call. Extraordinarily nonchalant. <laughs> it's about insane. The whole thing. Uh, and he goes on to talk about how he usually kills him in a parking garage, but once or twice he did it on the side of the road. And to their credit, Howard and Robin are like never stop low key trying to like get him to like say things about himself that are going to like, they're like, are you and you're white? They're like, you have any tattoos? They're like, you know, like. They're trying to get yeah, the whole yeah. time. They're very clearly trying to fish for more information. Yeah, they're like, have you killed animals before? They're like, where are you? Like, are you a big guy? How old were you when you killed your first lady and stuff like that? And he says he was 16, by the way, which is nuts. Uh, but it's actually Clay who's more shocked than Howard when he realizes a few minutes into talking that he's not talking to a producer and that he's actually like live on the show. He's like, literally like you can listen to him. Yep. He's literally like, is this Howard? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, he surprises Howard's himself. Like, <laughs> Howard's like, hello. And he's like, oh, I, I didn't realize I was talking to Howard. Hi. hi hello. Hi. It's like really weird to hear this guy saying that. Um, but yeah, here's another uh, here's another little clip uh, that just it, it's just a really surreal conversation. So here's another clip uh, to give you a little bit more info. Right. And uh, when you killed the first one, did you go in there knowing you were going to kill her and it just sort of happened? I, I knew I had, I really had it planned out. Hmm. You know, I wanted to do the whole sending clues. I wanted to baffle people, but it turns out no one noticed for a long time. I wanted to thumb paint, you know, with their thumb. Oh, really? Thumb paint with their thumbs. Thumb painting what, though? I don't oh, know. Any, 
Oh, anything. It was in a comic book a couple of years ago, and it just seemed like a good idea. Like you take a girl you killed and you dip her thumb in paint, and then you do like a thumb painting? Yes. On a piece of paper? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like it is so fucking weird. He's literally like, he's literally, like you literally hear him being like, huh, you just, you wanted to paint, you want to paint with their thumbs. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, okay. Uh, then he asked him if he ever played with the bodies or anything after he murdered them. I mean, that's truthfully based. So like if, for those of you who don't know, if you're wondering like why he's so nonchalant, Howard Stern, the whole point is like the people who are calling in 99% of the time are like some ulterior motive him as much as he's trying to punk them. So he 100% does not believe this is a real killer. Like does not at all. Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, he's simultaneously like, not giving this guy anything but also kind of like winding him up like ninja style he's like getting you can like really he's really a fucking good interviewer like i mean he i I don't really i don't really care for his show that much but like you know the dude can master of his really gets what he gets stuff out of people that other people don't get and he doesn't need chicken wings to do it it's pretty wild uh he, (laughs) he asked he asked them if uh he played with them after he murdered them. And he says, not really, but that the closest thing he ever used to do was make sure that he left the money that he owed them on them somewhere where, where, when he left. And he says that one time he was surprised when one of the sex workers ended up having a penis that he didn't expect. And that for that one, he ended up leaving the money quote unquote in a compromising place. Uh, but they don't go into that too far. Uh, they go on to talk about his home life, how he wasn't abused or anything about how he currently has a couple of kids, even though he's not married to the mother. Uh, and ironically enough, when Howard asks him if he's a white dude, he says he is. And that it made him laugh because the hottest suspect they ever had in the case turned out to be like this black police officer guy. And he was like mm-hmm. laughing his ass off about that. Uh, then they go into the motivation behind the killings. And he says, it's not really a sex thing. Like he has sex with the hooker sometimes because he like likes to, but it's not like sexual release for the killings, even though sometimes he said he would like think about the killings later while he was masturbating. And it's not really a hate crime type of thing for him either, where he's like targeting anyone with specific features other than that. They're sex workers, because unfortunately in our society, sex workers are pretty invisible. Uh, And when they start to ask about how often and stuff, he seems pretty like. He doesn't seem to have all the answers. He's just sort of like kind of is of this vibe. He's like, I don't know. Sometimes I get bored and I kill people. He says one time I did two in one night because I was feeling it, but I like drove to Mississippi to do the second one and it felt really weird. And he doesn't really know when it's going to happen because it really isn't like one of those like typical stereotype serial killer type things that you see. It's very much just him sort of like not knowing why he kills people and kind of just doing it because he can and wants to kind of, uh, but uh, here's another uh, here's another clip for you guys. And it's all right. There we go. <clears throat> I don't even approach him. I wait for him to approach me, Robin. And do you ever like poor Robin? That's not her voice. <laughs> do you ever like look into their eyes <laughs> and go like Seinfeld? <laughs> these people are just children at one point and maybe they just had a tough life i've let a couple go you have like what happened you're in the middle of killing them and what do they say why would you let one go and kill the other 
Uh, there was this one. Go ahead. Uh, I think she was probably really new to it. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was just something about her. Maybe she reminded me of my ex-fiance, but. Right. You somehow. More of an innocent quality. I just. You somehow felt bad for her. Yeah. Yeah. It's really it's really an intimate little interview. He says he hasn't killed anyone in a year. They start to ask him, like, what's next? Are you going to kill yourself? Are you going to kill again? Can you stop this? And the conversation after that is like maybe the best part of the interview. So I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to give you guys that bit to read next. This is like absolutely insane. Are you going to kill again? Can you stop this? If I killed myself, I'd miss the next Batman movie. Right. You don't want to do that. No. No, but in all seriousness, uh, I mean, do you think that uh, you can control this? I think I have been. Oh, you have been for the last couple months, a year. You haven't killed? Almost. So why do you think you stopped killing all of a sudden? I really don't know, Howard. I just part of it is has to do with my with my car being broke down. Seriously, that's the reason? Well, that was the reason for a month. But after that, I guess it was all self-control. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so it's fucking weird. And uh, Howard, like, <clears throat> he's trying to laugh it off, making these jokes about, like, Batman and stuff. And Howard's like, no, 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 no. We're going to talk about this. Uh, they start pushing his buttons a little harder, asking more personal questions, like, when was the last time he got laid and stuff? But he says, like, <laughs> last week, Howard. Uh, and he's not too worried about any of it getting back to him because he believes that the cops have no idea who he is. Even he jokes that one person he knew saw the killings in the paper and was like, I bet this was you, you weirdo, which he like really loved because the person was just joking, but like it really <laughs> was him. Uh, but right. So like right after the call, apparently the FBI were like very interested because he was mentioning specific details about his killings that hadn't been made public. And he was right about the black police officer thing where there was a suspect who was a black police officer. It was a guy called Victor Grant who was the boyfriend of someone who got murdered and was allegedly mixed up into this like weird casino crime shit that was going on, but nothing ever came of it in this specific case. No face has ever officially been put to the name clay, the serial killer from the Howard Stern show. Uh, but there was one guy called Russell Elwood who may have been clay who was arrested like a year <laughs> later for the murder of two women uh, in 1993. Like he got arrested in 98 for a murder in 93 for these two women, mm, okay, okay. Cheryl Lewis and Dolores Mack. Uh, but he was only ever suspected of doing other killings. Uh, he only ever went down for the two killings, even though there was like 26 possible victims on the list. And a lot of them were sex workers. Uh, and if yeah. it is him, it's not all bad because another year after that, in August of 1999, Elwood was sentenced to life in prison with hard labor, no parole, probation or suspension of sentence. So all right, good. if, that really, if that. that really was him, he got bopped for it. Uh and that's all we know about that. We never that guy never got caught um, for sure. Definitively. Uh, however, if you're looking for a crazy story about a murderer with a happy ending instead of a sad one, look no further, because now it's time for. Number 12. Terracita Basa. <laughs> yep. Is that it? Terracita Basa? Basa? Terracita Basa. Yeah, I was saying Basa. I don't know if it's Basa or Basa. Uh, this next one is another one from Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, but beyond that, I want to say that it's even more especially strange for an Unsolved Mysteries mystery because 
This is another one about a murderer and a victim, but this case was already solved before they decided to make an episode about it because the mystery wasn't who murdered. The mystery was how they figured out that this person was the murderer. Okay. Huh. Okay. So let's jump back to February of 1977 and meet the victim, Teresita Bassa, uh, in this bizarre tale, who was born in the Philippines in the late 20s, but had lived in Chicago since the 60s, where she began as a music student before ending up working as a respiratory therapist at the Edgewater Hospital uh, in Chicago. Uh, at 9 p.m. on the night of the 21st of February 1977, there was a call uh, to put out a fire in her building. And when the fire department finally arrived and got upstairs, they found the flames were centered around Teresita's apartment. And unfortunately, they also discovered her uh, body naked in the apartment, lying under a burning mattress with a butcher knife sticking out of the middle of her chest. Uh, so it was pretty brutal. There was circumstantial evidence around that really made it seem like maybe she had been sexually assaulted. But weirdly, they did like a, uh, examination on her body and they found no evidence of her being raped or anything or penetrated or any sort of bad stuff that could happen to her body in that way. Didn't look like anything had actually happened to her, uh, which left this as a crime with no motive and almost no evidence because most of it got burned uh, besides a single memo, which was literally like a clue from like a Sherlock Holmes video game. The, it's a note that says, quote, Get theater tickets for A.S. A period S period. Uh, and apparently this was enough to get the police to pursue a few different leads, exploring people with the initials A.S. as a possibility for having been involved with the killing. But they were never able to pin down whose initials they were. So that's basically where they left the thing for like five months uh, until randomly one day. Uh, out of nowhere, another person that she worked with, uh, Teresita worked with, who was also happened to be from the Philippines, uh, called Remy Chua, contacted Detective Joe Statula, which is a great name, at Chicago damn, PD. Yeah, Detective Statula. Um, <laughs> they they contact him. Uh, Remy Chua and her husband contact this detective, saying that she and her husband have some important info about the murder of Teresita Bassa, because for the past few months she's been having visions and dreams where Teresita would come to her and beg her to go to the police and tell them the real story. So finally she did. Uh, and so she said that one afternoon she was taking a nap and randomly somebody came over her in her sleep where her husband said that she began speaking in another voice saying that her name was Teresita and that she was killed by a man named Alan Showery, who was a guy who apparently worked as an orderly at the same hospital Teresita and Remy both worked at. But when Remy woke up, she had no memory of anything that she said while she was unconscious. So her husband was just kind of like, you know what? Maybe she was just like doing some weird ass sleep talk dream shit where she was just like making up some weird shit. So I'm just going to ignore it because she I'm just going to see what happens. And then it happened again. This time, Teresita was mad at him and was like, why didn't you go to the police? And he was like, uh, well, I'm not going to go to the police and tell them that a fucking ghost told me who killed somebody without some evidence. So she's like, all right, fine. Well, how about this then? Alan Showery, the guy who killed me, took my jewelry and gave it to his girlfriend. So there you go. Uh, so the detective is going into this thing, having heard this, fully as skeptical as he should have been in this situation. He did a good job. He wasn't like, you know, being weird about this, but his interest was peaked enough that he did decide to do a background check on Alan Showery. Sure enough, he discovers not only does this dude live extremely close to Teresita, but a couple of Teresita's coworkers said that they remembered him saying that he was going to maybe go over to her apartment that night and help her with her TV 
So they brought him in for questioning. And he said, yes, he had been over there that night to do that. But when he got there, he realized, oh, you know what? I'm here, but I left my tools at my house. So I'm going to leave again. And that's what he said. <laughs> so that sounded super fishy to them. So at this point, the detective's like, you know what? Fuck this. Might as well check out this fucking ghost tip. So he calls up her, uh, this dude's girlfriend who says, Alan, why, yes, Alan had given her some jewelry recently now that he mentioned it and that she'd bring it down to the station right away. And they bring it down and Teresita's family shows up at the station. and They're like, that is her fucking jewelry. And this dude is literally caught red handed. Alan Showery, his back is against the wall. He fully confesses. He says he did leave her apartment, but not because he forgot his tools, because he was like leaving to come back and rob her. And when he came back, she let him in freely. She turned around to lock the door once they were both inside. He grabbed her from behind. And that's when he grabbed her and killed her. And that the whole sex crime thing was something that he like staged to like kind of throw people off the trail of what he was really doing. But he took her, you know, some valuables or jewelry, some stuff like that. But somehow, even after he said all this to the police, he still pled not guilty. The thing goes to a mistrial. Then he decides to plead guilty. And in 1979, he got only sentenced 14 years in prison for the murder. And he was out on parole four years later in 1983. Out on parole. Um, But... uh, Other than the intervention of what was allegedly Teresita's ghost, there was nothing else that led them to Showery. Uh, It was only the testimony of a fucking ghost, and it was the first ever case on record where the chief witness of the prosecution was an actual ghost. Like, that's what they just said happened. Uh, And that's the story of Teresita Bassa. An insane story about a psychic dream murder solving that really happened. That's really cool. I like that shit a lot because it makes me curious. Just like, did she? Like, well, how That's else would she like, have what the known fuck to is like that? direct the 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 detective in that particular direction for well, those? Well, you said they both things. worked at the same place. All three of them did. Mm. But like, what? Why wouldn't she just be like, I know this? Because she didn't want to get implicated. Yeah, wouldn't you? I mean, like, if you're a person who's afraid of being caught up in stuff, you could easily say, I had a dream that I knew this is what happened when maybe the dude just straight up told her. Because if way you of trauma processing. Yeah. It's just a wild plan. Like if I was if I was tasked with the idea of like giving someone evidence to solve a crime, but also not implicating myself in the crime, that is not my that would not be my first attempt at that. <laughs> You know what I'm there saying? Is that thing is like make, make having saying a ghost certainly makes it more difficult to get the cops to believe you. That's what, <laughs> you I'm, know? That's what I'm saying. And then they have like, you know, evidence. So why not just open with that? Be like, send a fucking letter to the cops. Be like, yo, look at that girlfriend's jewelry. It looks kind of familiar, doesn't it? You know, just like <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's it's just uh, it's just it's a weird. weird. One. Yeah. Uh, it's a weird one. And uh, but yeah, we only have one more left. Let me just break the ice on something right now. I saw someone comment that number 13 was going to be the broken house from the green stone. Uh, I thought that is a hilarious concept. But in case you were thinking that, too, no, that was not my plan today. I'm not going <laughs> to be talking about the green stone today, uh, but I do have a plan for the green stone. Uh, so, you know, that mystery is still yeah, alive. Don't let it die. Uh, but instead, uh, for the last entry in today's part two of the weird corners duology, as I call it. 
I wanted to continue the tradition of presenting Jesse with bite-sized pieces of really hard to explain and really well-documented evidence for the existence of aliens. And today is no different. So buckle up, dudes. Take it away, Jesse, one last time. You think this is the title that's going to get me? This is the title that this is the one where I'm going to be like, it must be real. Yeah. All right. (laughs) 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 Number third. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I have to say this. This is my whole plan with this. (laughs) <laughs> number 13 zimbabwe aliens <laughs> i love it fantastic job fantastic job zimbabwe aliens i hate That's it, it. So this is much. gonna be the thing that convinces you that aliens are amongst oh, us jesse I hate it so much uh this is a story that i've been wanting to fit somewhere for a while just because it's a really in your face story with a lot of crazy shit in it but it's not quite deep enough of a story to carry a whole episode uh so here it is uh, courtesy of a great article from 2014 by Sean Christie at the Mail and Garden out of South Africa called Remembering Zimbabwe's Great Alien Invasion. Uh, Christie, Christie talks about how 20 years after these sightings happened in 1994 at the aerial school uh, out in a place called Rua, which is just like a small little agricultural center for that area. He met with someone going by Sarah, not their real name who thought she was maybe the only one of the 110 witnesses that hadn't moved to Canada, the UK, or died since. And everyone kind of thinks she's a crackpot, but she still maintains it happens, uh, the whole thing. Um, So here's a quote uh, from her for you to read, Mathis, uh, just to get her version of what went down, because I think it's a pretty clear version. Okay. And it's here. What do you want to know? Actually, it'll be simpler if I just shoot. It happened. It happened. Okay. It happened. 62 kids. Yeah, it happened. Okay. 62 kids between the ages of six and 12 saw the aliens land and get out of their little ships. When the kids returned to class, they were completely freaked and couldn't stop nattering about little men who looked a bit like Michael Jackson. No, no, (laughs) no. Dude, just like the Prince alien. (laughs) I think we talked about this in a minisode very briefly at one point, too. The teachers told them to shut up, as teachers are wont to do, and classes proceeded. But the next day, the school received a bunch of calls from parents wanting to know why their kids were spooked. It got so that the teachers started to freak out, too, and a local UFO expert called Cynthia Hind was invited to speak to everyone. It was via her, I think, that we heard about a famous shrink who was coming from the U.S. to assess the children. What was his name now? Mac, Dr. Dr. John Mack, who I heard was killed by a drunk driver a few years back. So, yeah, uh, according to an article by Cynthia Hine called UFO Flap in Zimbabwe, case number 95. We do love flaps. Yeah, uh, the story goes that everything started in the late summer of 1994. Here's a quote uh, for you to read, Jesse, from that article uh, by Cynthia Hind, who is just like a ufologist. Ooh, 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 ooh. Hold on, it's not showing up for me. There we go. There he is. Wednesday, 14th September, 1994, was an exciting night for Southern Africa. Round about 2050 to 2105 hours, a pyrotechnic display of some magnificence appeared in the almost clear night skies of this part of the continent. Yeah, apparently whatever these lights were, reports started coming in from astronomers nearby all the way to Zambia and Botswana. 
saying that they saw some kind of meteor shower uh, with dozens of reports mentioning some kind of capsule shaped craft trailing fire that was flanked by two smaller capsule fireball ship thingies on either side of it. Uh, then reports of actual alien sightings started coming in. There was a mom and her kid who saw some uh, in the middle of the day, a trucker who saw some stuff by the road at night. Uh, and then finally, two days later on September 16th, 1994, the report came in from the aerial school, uh, which Heinz refers to as, quote, one of the most exciting UFO stories of this or any year. Apparently, 10 a.m., it was hot and the kids are out for like whatever recess, recess. nutrition, yeah. whatever it's called, uh, when they were suddenly drawn to an area of, quote, Long grass with thorn and other indigenous bushes, trees growing higgledy-piggledy fashion, and undergrowth thick and heavy enough to hide a child should he venture there. All the teachers had already gone inside to have a meeting while the kids were playing, and so the only person there to deal with this uh, was uh, whatever the heck a tuck shop mistress is. Don't know what that is. That's something. Sorry, a what? That's a, from, tuck a, shop a tuck shop mistress? mistress? You know. That's from, that's from a style of school that is too fancy for me. I do not know what a tuck shop mistress is, but the, 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 the tuck shop mistress, mistress on duty was the one who had to talk to all the kids. They all came up to her like, yo, we saw like three or four disc-shaped objects. They came in along the power lines, landed near us, scared the shit out of us. What the fuck's going on? They look like Michael Jackson. What the fuck is this? Um, and... Uh, you know, number one, that's really similar to what the Raelians said the aliens look like that came to them, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but number two, uh, since this was a school in Zimbabwe, there were students from a lot of different, like, not just ethnic backgrounds, but like different tribes, culturally, totally different people, uh, all different colors and creeds who probably wouldn't have been able to all keep their stories so straight just because of the amount of navigating of different communication walls that they would all have to go through to get that story coordinated. Uh, but the thing that's more interesting is like how they all have a lot of the similar details, but they come from like different sort of like cultural layers on top of them. Like there's like some white sure. kids who saw one of the beings and thought it was the gardener and got really scared because then they realized that they didn't have quote, not they had like quote, not really like a black person's hair because he thought it was like an African person with like, you know, like the type of hair that people from Africa have. And then he saw that it was yeah. like weirdly long stringy hair and it like disturbed him to his core. It looked like it didn't <laughs> look human after a fact. Uh, and then some of the uh, kids uh, from the tribes thought that they were maybe some kind of like goblins from their like traditional folklore stories and got scared because they thought that they were going to get eaten, but they like both basically described like the same creature. Um, and here is a quote from one of the witnesses who goes by guy G for you to read Mathis. So, so we can get an idea of what we're working with here. Uh, okay. Just in terms of physical appearance. Uh, uno momento. Okay. I could see the little man about a meter tall was dressed in black, shiny suit, uh, dressed in a black, shiny suit that he had long black hair and his eyes, which seemed lower on the cheek than our eyes, were large and elongated. The mouth was just a slit and the ears were hardly discernible. Very classic gray face kind of ex uh, description. Yeah, very like clinical, very straightforward, very much what we would expect from an alien. Uh, obviously, the parents were like furious and were not understanding at all. Uh, but Hind was able to get the story out eventually to this guy, John E. Mack, which is who that chick Sarah was talking about, who actually was a Pulitzer Prize winning writer who actually did die in a car accident in London in uh, 2004. 
And he went and talked to the kids because he was writing a book about this kind of stuff. And he told them, they told him that the aliens were real, number one. And then they told him that they had like dire environmental messages for everybody about like conservation and pollution and like specifically pollution and like not getting too carried away with technology, uh, which is like a weird thing. I'm going to give you guys a link to a clip of it if you want to see the kids talking to Dr. Mac which I always think is an effective yeah, way of making this. it seem real. Uh, you don't need to like watch it carefully, but just to give you an idea. Um, and yeah, there's a lot to dig in here. If you like witness testimony type stuff and some of that more like new agey spiritual UFO type vibe. Uh, but really to me, the most amazing thing here is that there was a huge flap of sightings. 110 people at one location all saw the same thing. And that, that thing that they saw was pretty weird. And it doesn't really seem like a hoax to me. So to me, this is one of those, this is like, this is one of those, like, I'd say there's like a handful of experiences that are worth looking into when it comes into ufology or UFOs. Like this is way up there just because there's so many eyewitnesses. It just doesn't doesn't feel fake the way a lot of the other ones you start to have to put on your blinders. This one is up there with like Betty and Barney Hill for me. Like this is up there with like just the necessary UFO encounter kind of stories. And it's up there with Roswell. It's up there with, uh, Rendlesham Forest, Forest, which is the UK's version of it, like it's necessary. Definitely check this one out. It's very fascinating. I just love how how real it seems from everybody. Yeah, there's too many moving they got parts. The kids back together uh, a few years, like a test. Now I think it's almost like ten years ago. They got the kids back together as adults, and they you know all lived their lives, and they all still ex- describe everything literally the same way. And it's it's just cool. It's very interesting. Aliens or not, I mean, it's just a weird experience. Yeah, I mean, test- it tends to, that tends to happen. Yeah, yeah. It, that tends to happen too. Before, like alien, whatever, whatever you want to call them, before these encounters, there's usually a couple days of like constant UFO sightings before it happens. It happened in Roswell, where like a couple days before the Roswell crash, tons of people had reported a bunch of UFO sightings, and it, they all follow a very kind of similar pattern. Yeah, that's oh, cool. It's it's uh, how do I, it's like it's like too much like moving parts it's like it, it, if somebody made this up it's like the work of like jigsaw you know what i mean it's like too much it's it's yeah, the more people honestly it's like the more people that are involved the more likely the fact that it's a hoax will end up getting leaked by someone at some point yeah but yeah it's not it's cool it's uh that's a that, well, for you you alien enthusiasts go one, that one. one worth digging one. into it's just uh-huh. such a weird story like yeah, but exactly. also what also it, it's kind of like when people tell us stories on the Reddit and there are little like grainy bits of like, well, that's just silly that make it seem more real. That makes any yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just like a weird detail that doesn't seem to matter. And another thing that this version of the story lacks, too, is like sometimes when you read those ones on Reddit, there's like weird like story breadcrumbs that are being laid on purpose that you can tell are being laid to like imply yeah. certain things. You know, right. like, you're like Dark Souls style, you're supposed to like piece together a narrative by like reading between the lines, which mm-hmm. this does. This story doesn't have this story feels very like random and like uh, like just two things colliding that were never meant to collide. It doesn't feel like somebody tried to tell me a fake story. You know what I mean? It just seems like exactly real things that happen. So that's uh, that's why this one specifically is interesting to me. I don't pretend to have any insight into what the fuck actually happened, but 
this is the type of shit right here that really does like, you know, I, I, I have fun on this show, but like this stuff feels a little bit more convincing than some of the other stuff like this. That, that's the kind of thing that keeps me like one foot in always with aliens is like there's a million things that are just funny to laugh at and just like it's insane. But then like once in a while, these things come along. And you're like, wait, but what? Yeah. <laughs> and it just keeps you hooked. Yeah. That's kind of what this whole uh, episode has been for me is a bunch of little stories like that. Um, but there you have it. It was a great time. Yeah. Next time it's what an are- Alex episode, I'm going to do the Crystal Skulls. Uh, so get ready for that. Oh, all right. Uh, it's exciting stuff. Yeah. And uh, today for the mini sode, I'm going to do yet another like weird internet mystery. This one was probably fake. I can't remember if I've done it before. So maybe it's a repeat, but who cares? It's going to be fresh to me because I don't remember it. Uh, <laughs> okay. And look for it right we'll after you know. this on patreon.com slash pod where dreams and reality are one. See you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for watching next week. Uh, it's almost Halloween time, boys. Next week's the last September episode. Yeah, come see us uh, before we move into Halloween. Uh, we'll be moving into Halloween, uh, you know, with a going back into the world of the true crime. We're going to start a multi-parter on Ed Gein starting oh, next week. Everybody. No, that's going to be rough. Oh yeah. I can't wait. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Other than that though, go get that t-shirt. Two weeks left before it's gone. TheYeti.com slash collection slash Illuminati and support the show on Patreon. And there are tickets left for the live show, right? Oh, October yeah. 26th. We've still got yeah. some tickets left. Mm-hmm. Very few, yep. but, they are, but they, are, they, are, they exist. They exist. Go scoop them up while you still can. That'll be on October 26th next month for some Halloween live goodness. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Anyway. Me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, Holy shit, get out here! So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.